May the Lord bless you. May he bless you all, the brothers and sisters of the different churches all over the world, from Alaska to Patagonia, all of the United States, all of Europe, there in Africa, the brothers and sisters in China, those in the Philippines, those who are in the different islands, those who are in Australia, New Zealand, in Iceland, all the brothers and sisters who congregate in the church of the Lord, in this church. And as the brother Carlos Alberto said, with that testimony, very beautiful testimony of God's mercy with his children, with those who follow him, his believers, the love of God. And this shows us that we are in the right path. We can't doubt. We cannot doubt. We have researched all over the world, investigated with many different religions and many people who practice many different other religions, and we have investigated. And in no moment have they told us that God is manifesting in their congregations. They say that there are apostles, but they can't prove it. It's simply a title. They say they are prophets, but they never speak a word of comfort to a person or speaks to them the secrets of their heart. Never do they give those signs of saying, come, let me pray for you because God is going to give me revelations concerning your life and regarding what you need to do or what you need to stop doing. No, it's simply a title of prophet, but they don't prove it. They don't show it. And the matter is, is not saying I am and I have, but that people can truly see in us that God is manifesting himself and giving us what he has told us he's giving us. When the Lord said in antiquity, and you can have a seat, and there, if you're watching, go ahead and have a seat, get comfortable. When the Lord in the beginning spoke, the first message that our God gave to us through the Holy Spirit, through that wonderful gift of the gift of prophecy, the gift of prophecy that many scorn and despise and doubt and twist, but that we have lived that wonderful promise with God when he spoke to us for the first time. And the Lord said, from these four people who are here, this small fold that is here, four people, it was four of us praying on a Saturday at night. It was about one in the morning on a Saturday. And the Lord said, of this small fold, I will make a big church here in Colombia and abroad in other countries. And I will be the one to bring people. I will be the one to convert. And that has come to pass. We have seen this. The people testify this because they've lived it and they've seen it. This is what we call to be a prophetess or to be a prophet. Because God wants to save people. God wants to save humanity. God wants people to be happy. That's what God wants, for people to be happy. To save the souls, to rescue them from continuing to live a life in the world full of sin, a life of bitterness, sadness, sorrow, 
of conflict, of sickness, of so many things. God wants to rescue those people from living those lives and those situations to give happiness because God is the one who gives happiness. And so those who say they are apostles, they're evangelists, they're prophets, but they carry out no work of rescuing, of making a person happy with the spiritual gifts they have, so then what use is it to declare, I am, I have this, if you don't show it? You must show it. You need to show God's power. You need to show those spiritual gifts God gives to his believers, his followers. You need to show them with great power and with great evidence that needs to be done. And with that, we can then say we have and we are. When we are showing this, that's it. That is what we preach this is our conviction here in our church, in the Church of God, Ministry of Jesus Christ International. And we don't pay so much attention to titles or logos, but we do need to have a title to be distinguished. Because all of us, the hearts of everyone, we are what make up the church. Our lives and the way we live our life is what testifies to the world and everyone who we are. So this is the beautiful part. And seeing the hand of God and the way in which God has manifested himself in our lives in these 50 years or 50 years and plus, this has given us that credibility, that certainty and conviction that we are in the right path. That maybe we're not perfect. We're not maybe we haven't reached that level of perfection God wants, but we're on our way. We are progressing. Each day we advance, and each day we will be better. And each day until we finally reach what God wants us to reach, which is here in the scriptures. Everything that these scriptures say have come to pass in our lives. It has not just been theories and stories, but they truly have come to pass in our lives. So this is why I live happily. And I feel very proud speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to open our Bibles in the book that we have been reading here in Hebrews. And today we have prepared Hebrews chapter 6. We are going to reflect from verses 1 to 20. Now, I had said that we were going to read the story of Melchizedek of the high priest, Melchizedek. And if there is time, then we will read about it. But if we run out of time, then we will just refrain with just chapter six of Hebrews because we're going to reflect upon the Lord with all of our heart, with joy, with happiness, gladness without any laziness, or discouragement, and if any of you feel lazy or discouraged, you don't have this desire, well, there is an evil spirit there that is disturbing you. So you say, Lord, deliver me from this evil spirit that's disturbing me. And in this moment, I feel tired. I feel lazy. I feel discouraged. I don't want to listen to today's sermon because the enemy, that's what he does. That's what he does against us so that we are discouraged and to steal the time that we ought to devote to our God. 
And so, here in Hebrews 6, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, speaking of the Savior, the Messiah, the one who was promised, who God in antiquity, he through the mouth of the prophets, spoke many times to the kings. He spoke to the people that the Lord had prepared in the future to send a savior, to send a perfect king whose kingdom, whose reign would be perfect and he would be righteous, that he would be executing all righteousness. And all were happy, joyful with this wonderful promise, waiting for that king to come and rule. Because people at the time only thought about the material things in life. They never thought about beyond their life and that spiritual life. And how beautiful it would be to be with God, to live that spiritual life. And this is why they were joyful and excited waiting for that perfect king to appear, literally to come and rule. And this is how our God sends that perfect king. He sends him to preach his word. And he sends him to fulfill the law which God had given Moses. And that no one before had the capability to fulfill. But that this perfect king would be fulfilling that law. And as soon as he fulfilled it, he would then annul it. Make it null there on the cross of Calvary. That is what happened. But the Lord also in his plan had a plan to raise up his own tabernacle, his spiritual temple. And this temple, it would no longer be in a specific physical place like in the time of antiquity, but this place would now be spiritual. This is why many times I do repeat myself and the brothers and sisters who already know this doctrine, you are now becoming teachers, teachers of the word, but for those who are newcomers, those who are our first-time guests, that maybe perhaps you heard the wonderful story of when our Lord Jesus Christ spoke with a Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman said to the Lord, Well, where should we go worship God and seek him? Here in Jerusalem or there in Samaria? Because there is some controversy and the Lord said to the Samaritan woman and said, look, the time is going to come. The day will come when neither here in Jerusalem, this physical land of Jerusalem, nor in Samaria will you seek God. Because God is spirit. And as spirit, he needs worshipers to worship him in spirit and truth. This is why the Lord also told his disciples and said, go throughout all the world. You need to go throughout all the world to preach this gospel so that all may believe and be saved, so that all may have eternal life, so that all may have happiness and peace. Preach to all, because all of them have the right. Now in the past, in the time of antiquity, only the people of Israel had the right, but now everyone, all nations, have the right to be happy and to know God. Blessed is the name of the Lord. This is what our father did. This was the work that this perfect king who came carried out. He came to shepherd, to form a church, to raise up his church, to build it. And this is the king we have today. 
We have this king today who is ruling over us. And he left his Holy Spirit. He sent his Holy Spirit so that he may guide us, lead us, so that we do not twist the doctrine and the word of the Lord, that we do not twist the path of our God. And so the Holy Spirit is there attentive, and he is attentive to the sincere hearts, the people who are sincere, those who love him wholeheartedly and who are seeking God in truth. And so the Holy Spirit will be that guide. He guides and he leads and teaches those who are sincere. But those who are conceited and arrogant and proud, presumptuous, who think that they are more than others and humiliate those who are humble and poor, and they only look above at everyone else. So those people say, well, I have titles. I'm an apostle, I'm an evangelist, I'm a prophet, but they don't have the Holy Spirit of God. They don't have anything from God because God is not with those arrogant, proud hearts. He is with the humble. He is with the modest. That is who God is with. And one of these days, we're going to go ahead and re-review the Beatitudes so that we never forget who are those who God sets his sights on, his merciful sights on, Blessed is the Lord. And so this is why we must review the Bible and the word time and time again and continue to read it once again, remembering so that everything is fresh. All of the teachings and the power of God and the way he acts in our lives. And in this way, we will be able to progress day after day and grow spiritually just as the Lord wants us to. So this is why we must appreciate and value and exalt our God and his wonderful work that he carried out of coming to the world and living as a man to live and to rule our spiritual lives. Blessed is the name of the Lord. And so here in Hebrews 6 verse 1, going back a little bit before where it says that now, the apostle here was speaking of a present time, but he was also referring to a future in which people, because of materialism and because of greed, people would be twisting God's words and they would be causing the truth to regress. So this is why I want, I want to review verse Five of chap chapter 5, verse 11, where it says, where it speaks about this, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. Now, this was saying that our Lord Jesus Christ, he was the great high priest Melchizedek. But that this high priest Melchizedek, our Lord Jesus Christ, had not come from the lineage of Aaron, but that he had come from Melchizedek. So the question was, well, who is Melchizedek? Well, here as we read, we learn who Melchizedek is. And if we do have time, we'll read a little bit about his story. And if not, we'll leave it for another sermon because we are going to read, of course, the story of Melchizedek. So it is clear to all of us. So our Lord Jesus Christ, he came with his priesthood from Melchizedek. And it says, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. Yes. It is hard to explain because people say, well, who was Melchizedek? Where did he come from? Where's his family? And so who was he? Was he a king or was he not? Did 
the city where he ruled, did it exist? There were so many questions. Difficult because the Bible doesn't mention or clarify. So this is why he said, well, it's hard to explain. But it says, since you have become dull of hearing. So he had already found a congregation who was discouraged. They were leaving the word of God. And it says they were dull of hearing. They didn't want to hear the spiritual things of God. They were becoming materialistic. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. It says you need someone to teach you again. The first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So it says here that this person doesn't understand the word of God, that word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of full age, meaning who are mature. So the doctrine, that deep profound doctrine that is mysterious, that which is difficult to explain, it says it's for those who have come to full age. A babe does not understand. A child does not understand. And here there were many children speaking to those adults. And it says, For solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So those who are mature in the doctrine of God... They have the ability to discern between good and evil, what is and what is not. What is that mystery? They discover it. They have the exact explanation of what they are reading. They understand it and they put it to practice. That is the most important part. And the apostle goes on to say in 6.1, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles. So he's saying, well, because of the lack of maturity... Because there are still many unskilled people, the majority are still children, we need to give them milk to nourish themselves. They haven't understood the doctrine and they have been in this path for so many years, like the brother Carlos Alberto said, those who are lukewarm, so many years in the church. Maybe I could say even from the time that they've been in the church for five years, a person in the church congregating for five years should already be a person who is mature. Because in five years, they have read the Bible and they have heard a lot of doctrine. But this is a phenomenon that happens to human beings. It happens to us human beings. And as we have an enemy, well, that enemy always comes. And tries to touch our weak points so that we do not grow, we do not prosper, so that we do not give to God what he deserves, but that we live stagnant, spiritually stagnant. But okay, we're not going to be discouraged. We will not lose heart because of this. We are going to be steadfast and courageous and we're going to learn and we have to learn because we need to remove all of these things and ask God to help us to be mature. He can help us be mature in the way that we think, in the way that we act, in the way that we understand things. And this is why he says, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance 
from dead works and of faith toward God, meaning this is a basic principle that people learn when they first start off in the path of God. They begin to know Christ. They begin to know he is the savior. He is the precursor. God sent him. And they then have to be baptized, uh, the water baptism. And then later they receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And then others receive the spiritual gifts. And we teach that resurrection exists, that one day the Lord will return in the clouds and that he is going to gather his people, his church in the clouds. And that final judgment in Revelation, it speaks that those who achieved and continue to advance in the path of God were or will be triumphant and will go on to eternal life and others will go to eternal punishment. Well, those are the foundation, the basic principles that any person who converts to God learns. But here it says that we must advance. We must move forward in the doctrine. These are the, the, this is the foundation. This is the basic principles, but we cannot remain here stuck. We need to continue growing and prospering, meaning we need to have the spiritual gifts in perfection. We need to have all of the knowledge of the doctrine. We need to have power from God. We need to have the Lord's support and moral authority. We need to have so many things that his word be steadfast. So it means the word of God must be steadfast in us. This is leading and going on to perfection because everything else we already know. So we must show the world that God does exist and that God has given us a portion of him and that with his portion we know how to act and proceed and we can teach and correct and lead and we will also pray for people and miracles will take place wonders and signs many things will happen with that portion of God that he gives us has given us and that is continuing on to perfection that is having the ability to understand the doctrine and God's ways without twisting or going crooked, not going to the left or right, but going straight. It is that righteous word of God being upright in everything, in knowledge and in our testimony. And also, and in God's power, showing that God's power is also with us. That is to go on to perfection. And it says in verse number two, well, it mentions the first principles and foundation in verse three, and this we will do, and this we will continue doing, but do not remain stagnant in that. Verse four, for it is impossible for the believers, for those who have converted to the gospel, and who after converting to the gospel, they were enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift. It says here that heavenly gift, which is the baptism with the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts. And it says, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. It says it is impossible for these people, these men or women who have partaken in all of these wonderful things. And also 
They, having tasted the good word of God, the doctrine, they've enjoyed it. They've prayed for others. God has used them. Surely they prophesied. Surely they laid on hands for healing and God would heal the ill. And it says, these have also tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. So they were conscious and knowledgeable that God will come and how the Lord will come and what will happen after the Lord comes to gather his church. Well, all of these, all of this, this knowledge, all of these people, men and women, who have gone through this knowledge and have learned all of these things, they have gone through this spiritual schooling. And in verse 6, it says, if maybe there was a time in which they fall away, having already enjoyed and having felt in their being the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts, God's promises fulfilled in their lives. And they too, having prophesied for others and seeing the miracles of God, they have fallen away. They regressed. They turned back. They got lazy. They continued. They didn't want to continue on in the path of God. They turned back. In verse 6, let's pay great attention here about these people. They fall away to renew them again for repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. So it's impossible. Impossible for they, after having lived this spiritual life, they fall away, and then once again they want to, again for the Lord, to go to the cross and be sacrificed so that he can forgive them again because they've returned and they want the Lord to forgive them. And for the Lord to say, okay, that's fine, I'll forget about all your sins and I'll once again forgive you, it's impossible. The Lord will no longer do that. It says that he, only once, made his sacrifice on the cross. It was only once. And those who believed, those who were enlightened and blessed with the spiritual gifts, and God showed to them that God does exist and God had power for all and that all were present doing the work he showed them that, the Lord then says, well, there's no other opportunity. In case you decide to regress and turn back, you want to go back to the world and sin. It is impossible. It's not possible. So we see what's going to happen, and it's very sad. What awaits is very sad. Verse number seven. These people, these people will be compared to those who these people who have already had the spiritual gifts, those who we just read about, they received that heavenly gift. They partake in the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of all the powers of God. But they have fallen away. So it says, it's, not long, it's no longer possible to repent. There will be no time to repent for what they have lost. God charges them for it. And they will be compared to the earth when it rains here for the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it. And so the earth, when it hasn't rained for a while, it sucks in that rain. And after it rains, it then bears herbs. So this is compared to that earth. These people are compared to the earth, which drinks in the rain that often comes up and bears herbs useful 
for those by whom it is cultivated. And so it also says that the earth, that after it rains, after it has rained a lot, and rather than producing herbs that are useful, what it bears is thorns and briars, which are shrubs that are of no use. They are not, they're of no use to nourish anyone, and not even nourish animals, because they are like thorns. They are things that hurt. And so it says that the earth then produces this after receiving that rain, implying here that the group of men and women who are believers, who receive that spiritual rain, which was the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts and all of the manifestation of God and everything God did with them, using them, that is that rain. So it says here, the earth, that dry earth, receives that rain, and if it bears herbs that are useful, it's a blessing. But if the earth bears thorns and briars, well, it is rejected and near to being cursed, who end, whose end is to be burned. And people say, well, burn those shrubs. They are of no use. Burn them because we need to take advantage of the land for something better. That is the comparison. That is the comparison that the Holy Spirit makes here about those people who fall away, who turn back. Now, I know I have people listening, maybe for the first time, and newcomers, this is not for you. This teaching is not for you. The teaching, the sermon, is for those who are lukewarm. It's those who are lukewarm. And I say, it's, been, it's those who have been in the church maybe for five years and on. This is a person who is lukewarm or who is maybe uh, unsure. And so those who are newcomers, our first-time guests, I want to teach you the power of God. And to also teach you that in God's love and his mercy, he blesses all. But God expects people to be grateful, to praise him, to seek him wholeheartedly, and to give him thanks because God gives his blessing to all human beings. But there is a special blessing here for those who are newcomers and first-time guests. And the blessing is that God is offering salvation. God is offering peace, blessings, happiness, which is something that no one in the world can give. No one can give happiness or peace, only God. And here we are speaking of a group of people who were ungrateful, in a sense, before God, and who turned back after having enjoyed all of God's blessings, I think, are our first-time guests or newcomers, do you understand that? In saying, well, people receiving all of these benefits from God and now they want to go away, they don't come back? Well, that's not right. I'm sure you probably think the same thing. And if you think that, you're right. And so here... This It says here that these, bri these thorns, these briars, they're burned, and that's that punishment. God punishes them for being ungrateful, ungrateful for having the Lord bless them so much and then turning back in a given time. Now in verse 9, it reads, But beloved, meaning those who seek our God, those who are steadfast, it says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak 
in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So the Lord in no way is the Lord unjust with human beings. Those, and he, and he pays all of those who serve them wholeheartedly, who are faithful and continue on, and we're not going to say that the Lord is unjust because after giving so many benefits to a person, this person then falls away and forgets about God and begins to do evil in the eyes of God. So we're not going to say God is unjust because he first showed his love and his righteousness in people and they no longer wanted to accept it but turned back. So we ourselves, we are seeking our own evil because the Lord gives us his truth so that we know the truth and that we feel it and that we enjoy it and that we observe the consequences of living in that wonderful truth and that we say, yes, Lord God exists. God blesses and God does give peace. He gives joy. So I can't say no. I see God's mercy and his righteousness, but in me is my decision to then become rebellious or greedy. And then I, I turn back, I fall away, leaving behind the word of God, and I despise and scorn everything God has given me. And so I belittle it, and I left. I left, I went back to live the, my life in the world and my life of sin. So... I can no longer say God is unjust. No, I need to acknowledge that I, I'm going to deserve the punishment from his behalf. I'm going to deserve it. So we cannot say that God is unjust because he first gives us what is good and righteous and he makes himself known. And it is up to us to take the good or leave it, to continue on in the path that is right or to belittle it. It is up to us. So God is not unjust. He is never unjust. And here in verse 12, well, which verse are we continuing in? Verse number 11. Okay. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. So that we we persevere to the end of our lives. That we may receive that assurance of hope because we have, of course, the assurance to be in eternity with God. This is our hope. And to attain that, we must be steadfast until the day of our death. Verse 12. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So this is speaking to those who are weak, I'm sure. Those who still have not understood. Those who have not uh, received that solid food. He then tells them, follow the example of those who have been strong and steadfast who have remained until the end, have been faithful until their last moment. Follow that example. Follow it. And that is so. Verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, 
Because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. So God made a promise to Abraham and he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. Let's remember, God said to Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. Abraham, in that time, he did not have the law of Moses. When God spoke to him and made him this wonderful promise, he did not have the law of Moses. He did not know the laws and the statutes. God simply said, I will make you the father of many nations and I will bless you with great abundance and blessing. And that was so because he blessed him physically. He became a very wealthy man. But his spiritual blessing was also with him. Because even to this day, that faith Abraham had and that God counted him as a righteous man for having believed him and obeyed, it says we, the believers in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that faith that we profess, it comes when it came from Abraham. So there is the spiritual blessing that God gave Abraham of his promise saying that he had sworn on himself, promising Abraham that he was going to bless him greatly. As if in that time, God, rather than just seeing Abraham, it's as if God was looking toward the future, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, that it would be blessed forever. And that it would be a church made up of people of many nations. Because Abraham was the father of many nations. And so that church made up of people of many nations would be blessed forever. It would be a perfect church without spot or wrinkle because the Holy Spirit would be the one in charge of perfecting it. Those are the blessings. This was the oath that the Lord made to Abraham. And he swore on himself and the Lord will fulfill it. This is why we will not doubt, though there may come different winds of doctrine that tell us that we are mistaken, that we are following the wrong thing, that we are not right, that this is false, that they are the ones who are correct. But show us, show us God's power that they have in order to believe them. That's it. And so here we feel very proud of having believed in this gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that comes from the faith of Abraham and from the promise God made Abraham. Thanks be to our God. Thousands of years have passed and the Lord is here fulfilling his word, fulfilling what he said to Abraham, glory to our God. And in verse 15, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise, yes, Abraham obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater. And an oath for a confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, so God wanting to show himself more abundantly to the heirs of promise, meaning to the believers in Jesus Christ, the immutability of his counsel. Immutable means that immutability is that oath. It is a word that cannot be removed, rejected, erased. 
It is a word that is steadfast and will be fulfilled. It will be as such. It will never be taken away. You can't. That is immutability of the Lord's promise. And so the Lord, he placed an oath. He made an oath because when he spoke to Abraham, he said, I will bless you. You will be the father of many nations. Speaking of the gospel, the gospel that would be preached to many nations. And I will exalt you. I will bless you. That exaltment and the blessing God gave or gives to his church, that word, that word cannot be removed or erased this word was steadfast, has been steadfast, will be steadfast till eternity. This we call the immutability of his counsel, of his word. And it says it was confirmed by an oath. Because this oath the Lord ordered when someone carried out business, whenever they committed themselves into executing something important, they needed to make an oath and they had to swear and say, well, what I'm doing, I swear it's this way and that way. So if anyone were to uh, lie under oath, this person would be punished, even with death, because this oath, the Lord placed it as something serious. Nowadays, it's sort of been taken away because people have gone used to being fake. There are many people that are very fake. They're false. They're liars. So you no longer believe in this oath that they make. And so there are other things that we must then appeal to because of the lie that maybe has surged in mankind, falsehood, and the enemy. The devil has taught people to be so dishonest. This is why no one believes anyone else. Even if they make an oath and swear, no one believes it. But here we're speaking of an oath made by God. Now we hear people, there are people who maybe make oaths in courts. They say, do you swear upon this? If, if you've ever caught that you're lying, that you're lying under oath, then it's going to go badly for you. But everything else, this oath that God made on himself. And so it says here that this oath that God made to Abraham this is what we today are living with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we are partaking in God's blessings when he said to Abraham, I will bless you, I will exalt you, and you will be the father of many nations. We see the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in some countries there are small groups of people, but there are still many na natives of that country who are happy, joyful, for they have found a true living God. There in countries in, in Europe and other places where people are never taught about God, people say, yes, God does exist and we are happy. Be it if it's only two or three people gathering, God sees them with good eyes. And this also makes us so proud because we see God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham. You will be the father of many nations. That faith Abraham had, and we come from Abraham's faith. That faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, because he came from that wonderful promise. Thanks be to our God. And so in verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So this was speaking of his word and of his oath. 
Those two immutable things, which it was the word that he spoke to Abraham and the oath that he made on himself. They are the two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation, though who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Blessed is the name of the Lord. And it says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. So this hope, the hope that we will be saved, that I will be rejoicing in eternal life with God, it is an anchor in our soul. It says, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. So this is now the Apostle Paul saying that when in the holiest place, in antiquity, in the temple, there was that holiest place, and it was covered by a veil, and only once a year could the high priest enter to speak with God. And our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross of Calvary, when he carried out his sacrifice, and he, and he resurrected, well, he tore that veil, spiritually, symbolically, because that veil, which the high priest, he was the only one who could enter through once a year, that was the shadow or the foreshadowing of the true veil that our Lord Jesus Christ tore. He tore that veil with his sacrifice, and there he gave freedom for all human beings and mankind to speak with God. For in that time, in antiquity, people did not speak with God, only the high priest once a year. And the prophets, well, they had their experiences with the Lord, but no one else spoke with God. And today, in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can say we speak to God through the spiritual gifts through the baptism with the Holy Spirit and those spiritual gifts. It's the wonderful manifestation, visions and dreams. So today, God speaks to us all. For in antiquity, he would only speak to the prophet. But today, to any believer, man or woman or child, God speaks to, God manifests himself to, and he comforts them. So this is the veil that is spoken of here in verse number 19. So this hope that we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast in which enters the presence behind the veil. Yes, because the Lord tore that veil and said, I give you freedom so that God may manifest himself to you, that he may speak to each of your hearts, to your life. And God speaks to us. He speaks to our heart with the true gift of prophecy. I say the true gift of prophecy because also the enemy has tried to use people who have not converted to God and who are hypocrites with God, who are not in good standing and upright with the Lord, so they pretend. And the devil comes and, and uses them. And people think it's God speaking to them, but truly it is a deceiving spirit. This happens. But the Holy Spirit speaks to those who are true, that man or woman who is sincere with God. God, the Holy Spirit, speaks to them. God speaking to their heart. So this is why it says that this is what the Lord did. He gave us this freedom. And now we are able to pray to God in any place and ask him. And he can manifest himself in us. In the past, this was not the case. Only the prophets had this privilege. And in verse 20, 
where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So, again, going back to that high priest who could only go into that holiest place once a year, and Jesus Christ here, having become high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, he entered that high, that that holiest place, and he did so when he was on the cross of Calvary in verse 20, where the forerunner has entered for us. Even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So our Lord Jesus Christ, he is the one who carried out that work with his sacrifice. And he gave us here the freedom. He gave us the privilege that we are able able to speak to God, that he is able to speak to us and comfort us, guide us, lead us, counsel us, and he does so through dreams, visions, and prophecy. Blessed is the name of the Lord. He does so through revelation, through discernment. God is there speaking to us, and no longer do we need to go to a prophet or to a high priest. But all of us now, the Lord Jesus Christ, he says he made us all priests and kings. So we all can minister. And we all present ourselves before him and he hears us all. Blessed is the name of God. Thanks be to our God for this wonder, for this privilege, this great blessing he has given us. Thanks be to the almighty God. And all of you, may you cherish and be grateful to God. May you value his word. We must appreciate this, appreciate it, and cherish everything God does in our lives and the way that he manifests himself in us. And to live an upright, holy life, you must do that so that everything is perfect. And the Lord will help us. We must pray and ask him to help us to lead a perfect life and to enjoy Enjoy him. Enjoy all of these wonders God has for those who follow him, for those who are faithful. And so, first-time guests, newcomers, I invite you to come and enter and enjoy these wonders. To come and enjoy what it means to feel God in our being and in our heart. And so, all of you, you are more than welcome today to receive that blessing from God. Let us pray to our Heavenly Father. O oh, blessed Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, O oh, blessed Lord, you who made this wonderful promise to Abraham, thanks, Lord. Thanks because right now we are understanding so many hidden mysteries. And thank you, Lord, because you do so out of the mercy that you have and the love and your righteousness because you are righteous, because you are, you are sympathetic of all of those who are weak, of all of those who desire to do your will but are not able to. But you, Lord, are there, ready with your mighty hand to encourage all to give happiness and joy and to give strength so that all of us may be strengthened and to continue forward in this wonderful plan of salvation. Thank you, my God, my King. Thank you, Holy Father. Thank you, Lord. 
We thank you for your mercy. And now, Holy Father, in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, I ask that you stretch out your merciful hand, your mighty hand, healing hand, healing hand upon all the people that are ill. There are many people with diverse diseases, Lord, of all different ages. May you stretch out your mighty hand and heal them, cleanse them, deliver them. Also, Lord, rebuke unclean spirits and remove witchcraft, sorcery, remove all curses, destroy the work of the enemy, and give happiness and joy and cleanse all people in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. The honor, the glory be to you, Lord. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. Amen. Satúrame, Señor, con tu espíritu. Satúrame, Señor, con tu espíritu. Y dame tu el fuego de tu amor aquí en mi corazón, Señor. Y dame sentir el fuego de tu amor aquí en mi corazón, Señor. Satúrame, Señor, con tu espíritu. Satúrame, Señor, con tu espíritu y déjame sentir el fuego de tu amor aquí en mi corazón, Señor. Y déjame sentir el fuego de tu amor aquí en mi corazón, Señor. Glory to our God. Thanks be to the Lord. And thank you very much, brothers and sisters, and to all people. May God bless you and many hugs for you all. And for the children, kisses. And until next time, thank you. Yes.